it's raining a little bit and I wasn't sure when I came out today whether I would record anything at all because I'm still working on my very limited understanding of quantum mechanics and all that stuff but I do think a few things do merit saying and I'm sorry, here we go, we'll see the, the interpretation of quantum mechanics has always been controversial and there have always since the very earliest times when Bohr and Heisenberg did most of the pioneering work there have always been those who wanted to interpret the superpositions of states in the quantum world as reflections of human uncertainty human inability to say what exactly was going on and those that interpreted quantum mechanics that way naturally had a problem about what the world was really like because if it takes you and me by virtue of some sort of conscious intentional act to make the world what it is then what is it when we're not doing that and what was it before we were doing that and all of this is not only problematic but as you could even say faintly silly and it gives rise to the sort of question that I laughingly referred to about whether trees falling in the forest make a sound to which the answer is obviously well they create vibrations in the air and those vibrations were they to fall on human ears would create a sound I just don't see that that's even worth thinking about but if we if we seriously think that it isn't us that makes the world like it is and quantum mechanics really is a pretty good description for all sorts of reasons even though it's very difficult for us to understand then all of that will tend all of that will tend to suggest that we need a better explanation than that it's somehow a feature of us that makes the world the way it is that castles and cathedrals persist whether or not we're there to see them not whether, we're, whether or not we're there to make them but that's another story And so the decoherence idea, and the idea that any observer is just a persistent structure, not a persistent, intentional, conscious, perceiving agent like you and me, that's really rather important if we are to rescue quantum mechanics from the subjectivist interpretation, as I think we should because if it's just a subjective interpretation then in a sense it's doing very little more than making a statement about probability theory and that's not really very interesting at all
as a way of understanding the world. So instead, we have the notion that these superpositions, these multiplicities, what Wolfram calls these multi-way graphs, aren't there because of us. They're there because of the way the world works. And that the things that are persistent are there because of some kind of interaction between the micro and the macro states of this world. So that even if there aren't castles and cathedrals, which are perhaps unfortunate examples because they are so obviously uh, derive their existence from some kind of human activity, but if you think about planets and stars, if you think about the rest of the well, not the rest, the whole of the animal kingdom that has evolved without human beings getting involved, evolved without us being involved. If you think of any of that, then that's all got to happen, whatever kind of theory of the world you have. And for much of human history, I think it's obvious, we've, we've very much had a classical view. We've very much had the view that there are atoms and molecules and that was latterly of course somebody else who doesn't believe in slowing down when he passes somebody on the road and so we've, we've devised our scientific theories very much at the macroscopic level and it was only in the early 20th century when Bohr and Heisenberg and Planck and Born and others later and Schrodinger got to grips with some of the phenomena that we learned how to detect. Remember, we didn't really get to grips with the subatomic world until the late 19th century when we discovered X-rays and when Clark Maxwell, middle of the century, started talking about electromagnetic waves and trying to reconfigure our understanding of the world more in terms of field theory than in terms of solid objects bouncing around in empty space which is pretty much how Newton thought of it. Well when we moved away from that when we started to try to get to grips with the quantum world as I say all these interpretations cropped up and a lot of people found even the notion of the collapse of the wave packet absurd. And that was one of the reasons why Everett created his multi-worlds interpretation where you didn't need to collapse the, the, the quantum states down because every quantum state persisted forever. And so you ended up with this uncountably infinite number of different worlds which are much loved of science fiction writers and indeed some science writers and which do have their play their part in the emergence of decoherence theory because decoherence theory was one way to try to get round this difficulty that if there are, if it's not conscious interaction with the world that precipitates collapses in the wave packet persists in
persists in producing sorry I just got distracted by a sign advertising a hedge making firm I've taken a slightly different route today but instead of it being human interaction that was responsible for the collapse of wave packets or the, com the completions that we've talked about instead it was decoherence it was the relationship between tiny microscopic quantum states and everything else all the way up to big quantum wave functions like those for planets and stars and galaxies and eventually the whole universe that somehow in their relatedness in their to use the correct term entanglement they influenced one another in such a way as to create the world that we live in so that really the way of thinking the way of making sense of the world that draws a sharp distinction between the quantum and the classical pictures is itself a source of a mistake and a bit of a mistake or a lot of a mistake a complete mistake because that's not what's going on instead we will find or we find the world not dependent upon our conscious states not dependent upon our assessment of its probabilities we just find it as I can call it this populated by vast arrays of objects on different scales some of them very small scale some of them very large scale and what occasions the persistence of the well let's call them larger objects the ones with the most persistent wave functions is just the scale on which they have come to exist because like the hammer hitting the teapot it would take a lot to change them of course sometimes we do that you know, if we let loose an atomic bomb God forbid, we do an enormous amount of damage we change the world to an enormous extent we produce a completely new set of wave functions as a consequence of pretty fearsome destructiveness and the answer to my question yesterday about ducks is that they are actually still here except that now they're trying to make their way in a puddle rather than in a duck pond which is fabulously dry as I said it was a couple of recordings ago So once we disabuse ourselves of this misconception that the quantum world is somehow a function of our minds, our uncertainties, and instead see it as a world that is intrinsically uncertain, intrinsically multiple, 
but that some things, not as a result of our activity, although we can do it too, but some macroscopic objects occasion permanence, or semi-permanence is what we should really talk about, because nothing entirely permanent. You know, the world universe started and it one, one day perhaps it will end. Who knows? I don't think it'll be my worry if it does. But all of this is a feature of the world as it is, whether we exist or not. Out there, if you like, objectively. And yes, some of the ways in which we know the world are definitely subjective invented even all of that is true but we should not think that either the science of quantum mechanics or the world that it represents are consequences of our consciousness I should add a caveat which is that of course there may well be aspects of the way we think of even quantum mechanics that are very much featured of the way human consciousness and existence is framed and that we shouldn't get too carried away thinking we've got the keys to the universe in our pockets because it could well change and the way the Vogons think of it could well be very different but that's not an issue whatever it is that is out there isn't there because we've made it so or most of it isn't if I make a cup of tea that may not be true but for me that tea wouldn't be there but that's just an example of a particular kind of entanglement between me and the environment it's not something separate of course this is really a footnote human beings love to exaggerate their separateness we invent all kinds of things from religion all the way down to science or up which depending on how you look at it in which we describe ourselves in relation to the world as if we were very special as if we mattered more than we do and the Vogons of course don't think that and we don't think it of the ants everything in perspective so we do make a huge fuss about ourselves our lives our deaths we try to persuade ourselves sometimes successfully that we are put here by a god in order to have dominion over the universe in order to take control and look after things and even perhaps change things a bit but that's just wishful thinking or it's perhaps even not even wishful perhaps it's just a, a kind of self-preservation self-preservative strategy to make ourselves feel more at home than we should because the truth of the matter is the universe doesn't care, care a toss about us and without any disrespect to her late majesty it doesn't care a toss about her either uh, it, we may make a huge fuss about the deaths of particular people but the universe really doesn't care any more than the Vogons and yes, uh, wanting to make a fuss about it is part of the whole separation process we separate ourselves from the world we vest our existence with significance 
we tell ourselves that we matter a lot but really we don't there was when each of us was not and there will be when each of us will not be again and that's always been true always will be true it's a bit like Lumpel and Goliath as I think I talked about many many episodes ago there just isn't an issue it's simply that whatever molecules atoms and wave functions currently make up me comprise me constitute me were once wave functions different wave functions doing something else and one day they'll be doing something else again that's all there is to it and perhaps if we just got used to that a little bit more rather than wanting to have more significance than we have wanting to matter more than we do perhaps that would help perhaps it wouldn't perhaps that's why we invent all these stories but I think that the truth as there is such a thing is that the more we get to grips with that the more we understand our coming into being and our passing away is just a part of the universe doing what it does that we don't really have any particular significance in it at all even though there are those who think they do and think others do kings princes, governors, emperors, presidents, prime ministers, etc. Even philosophers, for heaven's sake. The fact that there are people who think they do is just one of those things that we do to try to cement and make more substantial the separation that we have from the world that is, in truth, just a fiction, a figment of our imagination, of our wishful thinking. As I've said millions of times before, I just now think everything in terms of that single sentence from Rilke. When we dissolve in infinite spaces, will they taste of us? Thank you for listening.